Right, now that you're all comfortable, can I ask you all to stand once more? <laughs> now, it might be just me, but sometimes in church, you get bogged down in the things that need to be done. We had a lot of notices this morning, and a lot of things that need to be done, things that we need to get excited about, things that we need to plan. But I think in all of that planning, sometimes it's just easy to regard church as a, as a place where we go just to get organized with God's stuff. But although God is a God of planning, and God is somebody who has got principles in place that benefit us, his main joy is actually just to hang out with us. And sometimes I think we need to take a bit of time to forget about the planning, forget about the fact that Christmas is less than four weeks away forget about the fact that it's a good time to join a connect group because they're probably having Christmas parties about now just saying and remember that we're here to worship our God to lift up his name and to just hang out in his presence to hear his word and let his Holy Spirit wash over us to make our lives significant in the kingdom of God so, Lord, we pray this morning that you still our hearts from the day-to-day humdrum and focus our hearts, mind, and spirit on your wonderful presence here this morning. Allow us to open our hearts to your spirit. Let our minds be open to your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Hold that atmosphere as you sit. Because you're going to need it. Because who knows that sometimes the Word of God, they talk about the Word of God like a sword. I don't know about you, but a sword is a fairly nasty implement, especially if it's sharp. Speaking of sharp implements, and I know I've gone off track a bit, but I thought security guards are one thing we need for Christmas Eve, and I thought just to sweeten the pot, everybody who volunteers for security gets an assault rifle and a grenade launcher. <laughs> they will be, or a lightsaber. Anything from the, anything from the uh, Nerf catalogue is, is available for the security guards. And it's only short term, I mean, you only get 15 minutes with the assault weapons, and you swap to the next person. So you're not out there for a long time. It's very easy. There are no video games, I'm sorry, but just thought I'd throw that in. Um, and there might be special treats. Okay. Oh, wheels within wheels. Right. We've been going, for those of you who don't know, we're going through the book of Galatians. And the main thrust of Paul's letter here to the Galatian church is that. He wants to impress upon them how God sees them and what inheritance they have in God's presence because they're being swayed by a group of people who are trying to tell them otherwise. That God's grace, the gospel of grace is not enough, that we've actually got to do something to earn God's favor and God's love. And so he's writing this letter and it's the same as if he was actually like me standing here in front of you and, and he was yelling at these people because they didn't have telephones back then. 
They didn't have text messages. They didn't have emoticons um, or emojis or any of that to express their feelings uh, in, in a text or, or something like that. So he, he's written this letter, and it's full of very encouraging language, but also very strong language because he, he really wants them to get the point because they're in danger of going off the rails if they listen to these people who are trying to get them to do things in their own strength to get the favour of God. And so here we are, we're in Galatians chapter 4, and just in the last bit here, and, and Paul has really pulled out all the stops here. He's got into the Old Testament, and he's got really nasty about the Old Testament. He's told a story that most of us know really well, and he is not pulling his punches in what he sees this story actually means. So let's start from Galatians 4 verse 21. And this is from the New Living Translation. It says, Tell me, you who want to live under the law. See, he's being insulting already. He, he's, he's called them out. He says, come on. You like the, the idea of the law so much. Listen to this. What does the law actually say? He said, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Hands up here if you've ever tried to do that. Actually, you don't, you don't have to put your hand up. That was mean. But the, So, the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. You remember, Moses went up on the mountain, came back with the Ten Commandments, Discovered them all, worshipping golden calves and got... Never mind, it's another story. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia. Because she and her children live in slavery to the law. So Paul here is talking about the Jewish people at the time that he and, and Jesus were living. So he's talking about his immediate people. But it says the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. And so Paul's using this Old Testament story in quite a brutal way to get his point across. And the thing is that, I don't know how you feel about that story, but our, our reaction to what actually happens in that passage of Scripture is an indicator of how well we actually understand this whole idea about grace and the fact that our relationship with God is undeserved, but totally from his perspective, a gift. And that all we have to do is accept it. Because, I don't know, let, let, well, let's, let's look at this story and see how it relates to our struggle. Because I've heard, and I don't want to put too much emphasis on this, but sometimes people struggle with their faith. I know nobody here would. Is that right? We're all firm. It's got very quiet. Anybody here ever struggled with their faith besides me? And the thing is that when you look at this story, it has some amazing elements. Two people, Abraham and Sarah, are given an incredible promise from God. Who would be excited about that? If, you know, an angel appeared before you, and this is what happened, and actually said, you're going to have kids. Oh, perhaps, oh, good grief. <laughs> Got to be careful where I stand when I say that. <laughs> So these two people 
are given an amazing promise from God. Then the next exciting thing that happens is these two people lose all faith in that promise completely. Oh, you think, what a bummer. That doesn't sound like a good faith story to me. And, but then they come up with an answer. They decide that they can help God's promise come to pass. Nobody's ever done that here, have they? No? Good. So it's going really, I mean, it started off really well, didn't it? It's going downhill rapidly. And yet we know from having read the whole story, most people have read the whole story, that Abraham is, is the father of our faith. He's held up as the, as the pinnacle of a faithful existence. So you sort of think, well, is it, are the two Abrahams in the Bible? I noticed the spellings changed. Perhaps they got the wrong person. Now, the interesting thing about that is their efforts appear to be successful. They actually help God and it works. Has anybody ever found that, you know, sometimes when you help God, you think it works? You think, wow, God's answered my prayer. No, no, you did it yourself. Because then what happens is God has ignored their efforts and he comes through and fulfills his promise the way he said he would. Success. And they're, they're happy. And so two innocent people then suffer. Hagar and Ishmael are kicked out. Now, was it Hagar's fault that she got pregnant? No, it was actually Sarah and Abraham who talked amongst themselves and said, okay, you go and get her pregnant. Notice it wasn't a three-way discussion. It was just Abraham and Sarah. So Hagar, although she obviously agreed, wasn't the instigator of this, and Ishmael had no idea what was going on. And yet, they get the boot. And the pinnacle of the story is that two undeserving people get all the glory and how do we feel about that story because it's how we feel about that story determines in part at least how we understand our salvation because if we feel well there are four four sorts of people that Paul is addressing and I believe those four sorts of people are still around today in the world and even, even in the church. Now, I've put these things up on the screen only because I know that none of you guys fit into any of these categories, so you're not going to be upset when I talk about these sort of people. Actually, that's not true. You'll fit into the fourth category. So the first type of people that Paul's talking to are the law-obeying and law-relying sort of people. So they obey the law and they rely on the law to feel good, about their relationship with God. They're usually very smug, self-righteous and superior. So I told you none of it applied to you. Externally, they're very sure that they're right with God, but deep down they have a lot of insecurity because nobody can be truly assured they're living up to God's standard. This makes them touchy, sensitive to criticism and devastated when their prayers aren't answered. This includes members of other religions, but Paul's really talking to people who are going to church and... There's a lot in common with these people of a, a group in Jesus' day called Pharisees. So that's, and Paul's addressing those people because their view of that story with the law, they have a, a distinct opinion about the story of Abraham. The second type of people he's talking to are the law disobeying but law relying sort of people. You think, strange people. They rely on the law heavily but they don't obey any of it. 
Because they have a strong works-related righteousness, but they don't live consistently with it. Because they're trying hard to do the right thing, but they fail at doing the right thing all the time. And as a result of this, they're more humble and more tolerant of others than the Pharisees in group one. But they're also much more guilt-ridden, subject to mood swings. And sometimes when you talk about religious topics, they'd rather talk about anything else. They often go to church but stay on the periphery because they have low spiritual self-esteem. Then there's the third type of person. Has anybody met any of these people? Seen any of these people? Are any of these people here? No, don't answer that question. What are we up to? Number three. Law disobeying and not law relying people. So these, 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 these are the happy people. They've thrown off all concepts of the law of God. They're intellectually secular and have a very vague spirituality. They largely choose their own moral standards and insist that they are meeting them. Paul in Romans 1.18 says at a subconscious level, everybody knows that there's a God that they should be obeying. So these people are usually happier and more tolerant than the first two groups but there's a strong liberal self-righteousness. They are earning their own salvation by feeling superior to others. Trouble is, it's just a slightly less obvious sort of self-righteousness. And the, the fourth group of people is the law-obeying but not law-relying Christians that sit here in these seats in front of me. They're Christians who understand the gospel. They're living out of the freedom of it. They obey the law of God out of grateful joy that comes from the knowledge of their sonship and out of freedom from the fear and selfishness that false idols have generated. Is it, nobody's getting excited. Is this not you? <laughs> Just taking notes really, really quickly. They're more tolerant than number three, more sympathetic than number one and more confident than number two. But the big problem is that most Christians struggle to live like number four. And we tend to see the world as a one or a two or even a three to some degree. And the degree we look at the world that way is the degree that we struggle spiritually. So after bluntly pointing out where the Galatians and we have gone wrong, Paul then tells them and encourages them that they can rise up and be the people that they're created to be as recipients of God's promise. And so if we continue reading Galatians 4.28. I'll put it on silent. I don't know what these other pastors are doing. They're sending me WhatsApp messages, the pictures of their service. Can somebody take a picture? <laughs> I'm not very good with social media, so I'm, I'm just taking the opportunity as it comes to uh, get involved in this sort of... Do you want me to... <laughs> yeah, you know how to do that thing. Okay, so, so where for the rest of us, Galatians 4.28... And you, dear brothers and sisters, who's, who's that talking to? Who? Come on. Who is it talking about? All of you. Yes. So you need to get excited about this because he's talking to us. 
This is us, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the Scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Now, that all sounds really harsh. Get rid of the the slave woman and her son. Now, of course, and I think this will possibly come up next week, although it may not. Um, He's not talking about the story itself, although that did happen to Hagar and Ishmael. They were removed from the camp and they had to struggle on their own without Abraham's support. But allegorically speaking, which means if we take some meaning out of the story that Paul has put into it, we are to reject the whole concept that we can do something to enhance God's opinion of us. Because that's what we do. Don't we? We, 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 sometimes we do things thinking that God might appreciate what we're doing. You know, we come to church. You know, we get up early on a Sunday morning. We come to church and we stand up, worship when we're tired and our arms get sore. We sit there and fall asleep during the preaching, wishing that we'd actually gone to bed earlier the night before. And we think, good grief, I could be doing, I could be sitting in a cafe having a zapote and, um, is that how it's pronounced? It's those, those crust, those Italian donut thing. Zeppoli, yeah. They taste nice, whatever they're called. And I could be having a Viet coffee down at Tel Henry and really enjoying myself. But here I am in church. I hope God appreciates this. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't appreciate it. He doesn't love you any more because you're here than if you were at Tel Henry. He might be able to use you more. You might be more effective in the kingdom of God, but that doesn't alter how God feels about us. It's actually about who we are And how we understand our relationship with God. We should be coming to church because it's good for you. It actually helps build you up spiritually. It's not meant to be comfortable. The preaching actually isn't meant to send you to sleep. The fact that it does means that perhaps I'm not doing it right. I should walk up and down the aisle a bit more. I should carry a big stick or a grenade launcher from... Mattel. But we're here actually to recharge our batteries spiritually, to bring on new ideas that will enable us to tackle the next week differently than we tackled the last week. Because it doesn't matter what sort of a week we had, it doesn't matter how successful we were in our prayer life, in our Bible reading, in our speaking to people about Jesus, God's opinion of us doesn't change. Because He's accepted us by grace. What we can do is change ourselves. We can actually take hold of the promises of God and actually do something with them. And it's not an easy thing to do. And we should encourage one another in it. In fact, I want to do that right now. I want to encourage some people. I want to get Elon up here. I want to get Mina up here. Come on, come now, now. Barry, Michelle, you can come as well. 
Yep. Uh, thanks, David. Can we? Um, I got this. I was praying for for the people being baptised this week, and I, I don't know whether this ever happens to you, but when I pray, I get distracted. And for some reason, I found myself praying for you guys. <laughs> it's all right. Keep the, keep the spit the right distance here. Um, and I really felt that, and this is something I, I, I know in part about these people that I've got up here, that the Holy Spirit is actually going to challenge them if he isn't already with things in their life. And... I thought, they've already put their faith into action. And I thought, there's, there's a scripture that, that t- tells me what I wanted to know, and I found it. And it's 2 Kings 13, chapter 14. And it's the time when Elisha is dying, and the king of Israel comes to him, and he wants a prophecy about what it, what's going to happen in the future. So Elisha says to him, get an arrow, bow and arrow, and shoot an arrow out the window. And that's what you guys have done. You, you've, and, and he says to the king, that is the arrow, that is God's promise for you that you will shoot that arrow and you will defeat your enemies with that arrow. But he said, there's more. He said, that's not enough. That's God's promise that if you follow his plan, you will defeat your enemies. But he said, there's one more thing I want you to do. And he says, I want you to grab the remaining arrows and strike them against the ground. Now, I thought that was a bit weird, so you grab a bunch of arrows and hit the ground with them. But if you read the, the, the original text, it apparently means fire them at the ground. So he didn't get a bunch of arrows and hit the ground with them, because that's, that's a bit weak and wallyish to do that sort of thing. But he fired them at the ground. And he fired three and stopped. And Elisha got really, really ticked. And he said, you fool. He said, why did you stop at three? If you'd kept going and emptied the whole quiver, you would have defeated all of your enemies. Now you will only partially defeat them and they will come back and terrorize you. And I get the feeling this is... And just stay there a sec. These are just a few people that I know of. If you're here this morning and you are facing something which is going to require more faith than you're used to giving... I want you to come up here as well. If you're starting something, if it's been something that's been ongoing, perhaps it might be something you've been praying about for a long time, something that you've been um, desiring for a long time. It might have only just come up this week. It might be a, an, an emergency, a, a catastrophe. I don't care what it is. If you're believing that you need extra faith for this, I want you to come with these guys and I want to I pray for you as well. It can be anything. It can be with your health, with your jobs, with your family, but if you need faith, because the first, first thing is you've got you've to have that arrow. You've actually got to say to God, I am going to take you at your word and I am actually going to aim to overcome this through faith. That's the first step. And I'm going to believe that that's something you've already done. You've stood there and said, okay, I need God's help with this. But the part that you need to do this morning is you need to make a decision as to how long you're going to keep at this. Are you going to just put three arrows into the dirt or are you going to give it every single thing you've got? Are you going to 
do it until you're scrabbling around borrowing arrows from other people to actually just make sure that you are believing that God is with you and that your efforts are actually following his plan, not yours. I want you to repent right now of doing a a Hagar and actually deciding to do it with your plans. Because guess what? They might work. But you know what the big problem is? If our plans work, God's plans sometimes don't. And I've discovered his plans are always, always, always better than our plans. We don't want to settle for second best. So I want you guys still sitting there just to reach out your hands. Lord, I pray the power of your Holy Spirit. Strengthen and encourage these people in their trials. Give them wisdom. Give them the strength they need to proceed. Lord, I ask for visions of what their future holds. I thank you, God, that they step up. They're encouraged by your presence. Got a special word for you too. God is into the journey, not the destination. God is into planning, but not the plan. He says, do what you need to do, but stop trying to work out what the result will be. Because if you fixate on the result, the plans will frustrate you. Work on the plan that God has given you and let him decide the result. But whatever the result appears to be, do what God plans anyway. Don't give up just because the plan doesn't look like, the result doesn't look like the result you want. Because it won't. Guaranteed. But do it anyway. Lord, I just pray. Persistence, perseverance and great joy. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. It's double what you expect. It's double what you say. It's there in not one language, but two. But the blessing comes in the language of God. When you reach out your heart and your hands to him, he will guide your steps. Your heart's desire is his heart's desire. You just need to say, bring it on. Bring it on. Like Barry, don't look for the outcome of the plan. Work the plan that God has given you, the outcome he will take care of. And it's bigger than you ever imagined. Lord, I thank you for your blessing. Again, I see, Lord, that the future doesn't have the answers we're looking for, but it has the road we're meant to be on. Sometimes our efforts bring unexpected rewards. I believe God is saying expect what is normal but be prepared for what is not don't let your mind be bound 
what you think is going to happen but allow it to go beyond that God has plans and purposes we cannot yet see but you are a part of them and they will come to pass God says be free that you've imposed on yourself the ideas about God about your life that you have worked on in your life to get you to this point God says abandon those now he will give you fresh revelation he will give you fresh life God says he sees strong hands he sees a strong heart and he sees a softness in you that allows him to come in and mould you in his image he says let that mind go relax let God work in your heart let him do the moulding the strength to take it but also the strength to pass it on thank you God that the, the strength and yet that that softness is something that people will be drawn to and you'll be able to impart you'll be able to soften people's hearts encourage them to be with God encourage them to take a step of faith towards his plans for them because you've taken that step with his plans for you. I believe God says, Richard, just don't stop. He's trained you and he's taught you all the years of your life. And he says that it hasn't been in vain. 
It hasn't been for nothing. Everything you have learned has a place and a purpose. And he says, you are in a place to take hold of that. He says, don't look to your left or to your right. Just look to him. Keep moving forward. Lord, I just thank you that your spirit rests on Richard. Thank you that you give him peace. Thank you that he is comforted by your presence as he moves forward. In Jesus' name. can take your seats. There was other stuff I was going to preach, but I think I'll I'll stop there. One more thing before I finish. God's love for us as expressed in Galatians is unconditional is only available to us through his grace and mercy but it's a gift like any other and like any gift be it a birthday, Christmas or whatever who knows that the important part about gift giving is the fact that the person you give a gift to receives it and takes it and it's the same with the love of God It's there available for everyone as a gift. But he waits for people to put their hand up and say, look, I want that gift. I'm going to take what God has offered me. And in that step, we become a follower of Jesus Christ. But we actually have to take that first step. And it's, God doesn't make it complicated, and I try not to make it complicated. All we need to do is acknowledge that we need Jesus Christ in our life and that we want to accept that gift. And we do that by praying a prayer to basically say, Lord, I invite you into my life. Live in my heart, be in me, and I will follow you from this day forward. And that, I don't know everybody here, so that there could well be people in this place who have never actually made that commitment to follow Jesus before. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to pray that prayer. I'll lead you through it so you don't have to memorize anything. If you want to make that step this morning, can I ask everybody just to close their eyes for a moment, bow their heads. And if you're here this morning and you have never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you feel that you've done it before but you you didn't mean it or you didn't follow through with it, then God always accepts a second try, or a third, or a fourth. So if that's you this morning, you've never done that before, or you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, while nobody's looking around, all eyes are closed, could you just raise your hand high in the air so that I can see it? And I would love to pray that prayer with you this morning. Is there anybody here who would like to make that incredible decision? 